Thank you so much. Wow, my cup is overflowing from the dedication of grandson and then to uh, this special presentation. And uh, I look forward to my cup overflowing with that Dunkin' Donut coffee as well. So thank you. And uh, hopefully Susan will give me a little bit of that Dairy Queen card, but... Uh, that's a step of faith right there, I'll tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you all so much. Hard to believe, 36 years, but we are blessed for each and every one of them. And thank God every day for the privilege of continuing to worship with you and serve uh, here together. God is so good, right? He's so good, so faithful. So thank you for all of our hearts. John chapter 3, if you turn there please, John chapter 3, this past week I was uh, out in our garage uh, getting out uh, some Christmas decorations and don't they just seem to multiply during the year, I mean I don't know what's going on there, it's sort of like the miracles of the loaves and fishes or something. <laughs> more of them coming out than you can imagine you ever put away the year before. I'm telling you, over the years, we have purchased so many uh, Christmas decorations for the tree, and we have been gifted with dozens of them. I tell Susan sometimes, I think, hey, we alone could decorate the Rockefeller Center tree. Any, any year they need that, we could do it. Well, this week, as I was getting those uh, out, I came across uh, this one box that had in it the most shabby-looking star you've ever seen. I mean, a pathetic-looking thing. But I can't part with it because it is the star from my earliest memories that was on top of our Christmas tree when I was just a little boy. And uh, when my mother passed, it came over to uh, me and Susan because I didn't tell my brother about it. <laughs> and, and now I have it, we have it. And uh, we don't put it up, but just kind of look at it with the memories. And I, when I saw it this year, I thought how many presents over the years uh, that I received under that tree and how many of them I learned to open ahead of time and put the tape back just in a perfect way. And I was pretty good at that, but sometimes mom found out that was not glad tidings of great joy to all people, I will tell you. I was thinking this week, you know, that in older days, presents were not put under the tree. You know that? Presents were put actually on the tree. Some under, but there were presents put on the tree. And I thought this week that the gift of God, the gift of God that he has given us is found in two places. The gift of God is found under a star and on a tree. Under a star 
and on a tree. And that's our thought today, our theme today, as we have this Advent series, the light of Advent. We've talked about the light of hope and the light of peace that we have in Christ. This morning, I want us to think about the light of love. The light of love. God's gift of love. And could there be a better definition than the meaning of Christmas, for the meaning of Christmas, than the meaning that Jesus gave to it that night he talked to a very religious man. A man who was very religious. He came to Jesus at night and he was still in the dark in spite of all of his religion. And Jesus, in this expression, gives us the whole interpretation of what Advent is really about. Would you read it with me again? John chapter 3, verse 16. Read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now that is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. (laughs) That's what it's all about. How measureless is God's love? Measureless. How could we ever measure the love of God? Well, we can't. But here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to try. (laughs) Let's just be blessed in trying to measure the love of God that is shared in this verse of Scripture. Let it be for us the shining star of what the Christmas season is all about. Now I want you to notice here, as Jesus speaks to this religious leader, Nicodemus, in a sense, he measures God's love. He measures the love of God. Notice how he measures it. Four ways. First of all, Jesus measures the love of God by the height of God's love. The height of God's love. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Now that is the height of God's love. It's not within our minds to be able to measure the love of God. How infinite and how measureless it is. But if we even want to begin to appreciate the height of God's love, we have to ask ourselves four questions. I want to ask you to consider four questions about the height of God's love. First of all, who loved? Who loved? For God so loved the world. It's God who loves. What a staggering thought. That almighty God, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, the one who sits high 
and lifted up, right? And who the angels constantly worship, singing, holy, holy, holy. It is this God, the ordainer, the sustainer, the ruler of the universe who loves. Amen. For God so loves. This God loves. Why? Because God is love. Who loved? For God. The second question. How did he love? How did he love? For God so loved the world. I want you to look at that little word, so. It's just two letters, isn't it? In English. Just two letters, but no human being has ever been able to plumb the depths of it. It's not just that God loved the world. God so loved the world. It tells us how God loves. He so loved, Jesus said. He loved so deeply. He loved so definitely. He loved so perfectly. That little word, so, is the heart of God. For God so loved. Who loved? For God. How did he love? For God so loved. Third question. When did God love? For God so loved the world. Notice that word loved is past tense. It's past tense. When does God begin to love? When does God begin to love? Does God begin to love when you become a Christian? Does God begin to love when you determine to live a better life? Does God begin to love when he created you in the womb? And remember, it was God who created you in the womb. Did God begin to love when he created the world? No. God has always love <laughs> he's always love we don't make God love us he is love <laughs> he is love and he's loved forever the heights of God's love we're measuring God's love we're measuring the height of God's love first question who loved for God how did he love? For God so loved. When did he love? For God so loved. Fourth question. Whom did he love? Whom did he love? For God so loved the... What's the word? The world. The world. The word here for world does not mean the planet on which we live. 
The word here for world means the world collectively. It means all that's in the world, all those of the world. God wraps his love around the world. It refers to the peoples of the world. And friends, you have to understand how this must have startled Nicodemus. This religious man. No rabbi or scribe had ever taught that God loved the whole world. Jehovah loves Israel? Yes, of course, his chosen people. But Jehovah God loves the pagans? God loves the heathen? God loves the immoral, idol-worshipping pagans of the world? Yes. Jesus said, God so loved the world collectively. And friends, what that means is, for God to love the world collectively, it means God loves the world individually. You know, I'm grateful now. I'm grateful as I read this verse to recognize that this really is the joy to the world that we sing about. This is really the joy to the world. God loves all of us because he loves each of us. He loves each of us. I love what the church father Augustine said from the fourth century. He said this, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God loves the world collectively. God loves the world individually. God loves the world unconditionally. The world here means, as I said, all the people of the world, but it also means the people of the world with all their values, all that they live for, it means God loves this world of sin. And friends, that God loves this world of sin. God loves us in our own world of sin. He loves us. Sin cannot stop the love of God. Have you ever let that sink in? God loves me. Have you ever let that sink in? God loves me. Friends, that's when you can truly sing glory to God in the highest because his love has reached me. He loves me. Where do you stand to measure the love of God? Friends, to measure the love of God, you cannot stand under the star of Bethlehem. You have to stand before the cross of Calvary Amen. if you want to measure the love of God.
And I want you to listen to Jesus now. He's measuring God's love. What are we doing? We're listening to Jesus measure the love of God. And Jesus has measured for us the height of God's love. For God so loved the world. That's the height of God's love. Now listen to Jesus as he measures the depth of God's love. The depth of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. My friends, there's only one true measurement for love. And I hope you understand that love is not measured in feeling, emotion. No, there's only one measurement for love. Love is measured in giving. In giving. At Advent season, we celebrate a wonderful thought that God sent his son. Isn't that awesome? God sent his son. But the true measure of the love of God is not just that he sent his son, but he gave his son. It means he delivered up his son. His one and only son. God loved us so deeply. He loved us so much that he not only sent his son to be born, he sent his son to die. That's how much God loves. My friend, this is where false Christianity, let me say that false Christianity, there is a false Christianity. False Christianity takes the heart out of this verse. False Christianity translates it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave everlasting life. That's how false Christianity translates in reality, this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave everlasting life. But my friends, that is only a half truth. And never forget, a half truth is a whole lie. Bethlehem without Calvary, the cradle without the cross, is not the gospel. The gospel is not that Jesus was born, but he was born a Savior, Christ the Lord. And he would save us by giving himself for us. That is the gospel. Listen to what Jesus said. Here's the gospel. Did you notice what Jesus said if you've read this passage? Did you notice what Jesus said must happen? Must happen? If you've never connected these two phrases, please connect them in your Bible or at least in your heart. Notice what Jesus said back in chapter 3 here, verse 7. He said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Notice that. Jesus said something must happen. You must be born again. Now connect that must statement of Jesus in verse 7 with this must statement found in verse number 14. We're told at verse number 14, as Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man 
be lifted up. See, there's two things Jesus said must happen. You must be born again. And in order for you to be born again, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And praise God, this is the gospel, my friend. What is required of you? You must be born again. What's the gospel? What has been provided for you? Jesus has been lifted up. What's required of you has been provided in Jesus. You must be born again. And for that to happen, Jesus must be lifted up on the cross to die. Measureless love of God. Amen. How high for God so loved the world. How deep that he gave his only begotten son. And now, how wide the width of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. What an invitation. Whoever believes in him. That's the width of it. Whoever. This is an invitation that is as wide as the heart of God's love. Whoever. I want to tell you, I'm thankful. I am truly thankful that this verse of Scripture does not say... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if Sam Paulson believes in him, he will have everlasting life. Because if it said Sam Paulson, it might mean another Sam Paulson. And there are some others. I've Googled it. (laughs) What if it meant that Sam Paulson and not this Sam Paulson? My friend, there's something better than having your name in John 3.16. And it's this, this word, whoever. Whoever, when Jesus said whoever, he included you. It's not question. Whoever. Whoever. It's better than your name. Jesus said whoever. It's a universal invitation. But I want you to notice something. This universal invitation, notice... It has a limitation to it. It's universal, but there's a limitation to it. Whosoever, what? Believes in him. Who believes in Jesus. Now, dear friends, to believe in Jesus is not to simply believe about him. The Bible tells us that even the demons of hell believe about Jesus. But they don't believe in Jesus. You see, there are those, even in Jesus' day, who were believers, but they were not true believers. Look back at chapter 2. Can you flip the page if you have your Bible? Jesus is in Jerusalem. Notice what it says of Jesus. Verse 23, chapter 2. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, what? Believed in his name 
when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Notice it says Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Now listen carefully. That word for entrust himself is the same word here in John 3.16. It's not believing about Jesus. It's believing in Jesus. It means to entrust yourself to Jesus. Believing in Jesus is entrusting yourself completely to him. You know, this morning, what a blessing to stand here with a family and dedicate our grandson Levi. And I can't help it, my mind goes back, standing somewhere right around here, back in 1988, and dedicating Ruth, and seeing her here now this morning, holding Levi. Amazing. But you know, I was thinking this week of something very ridiculous Ruth did when she was little, three or four years old. Ridiculous. You know what she would do? She would climb up on the stairs of our house, four or five steps, and I'd be following her up, and she'd turn around and she'd say, Catch me, Daddy! And she would just loft herself out. (laughs) And I would catch her. And put her down. She'd giggle. She'd go back up those steps. Turn around. Catch me, Daddy. And she'd fling herself out. (laughs) How foolish. No, she had no fear. Because it could not even enter her mind that her daddy would fail to catch her. She entrusted herself completely to her daddy's arms. And friends, that's what it means to believe on Jesus. It's to fling yourself on Christ. It's to give up all hope of any other thing you can do or could do. It is to completely trust in Jesus, who He is and what He's done. Relying on Him to wrap His arms of love around you for all eternity. And my friend, no one who flings himself or herself on Jesus, has ever denied his loving grasp. I want you to understand something with me. I hope it'll help some of you, and I hope it'll challenge some of you. The Bible does not say that you must pray to receive Jesus. The Bible does not say you must invite Jesus into your heart. The Bible does not say that. What's the Bible say clearly? Believe on Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Not just receive Him into your heart. 
You say, well, Sam, why would you say such a thing? Let me tell you why I'm saying such a thing this morning. Because there are people here you can't remember if you prayed the prayer. You can't remember the words you said. You can't remember if you prayed once or you prayed 17 times. You can't remember if you said exactly what was on your heart. And that troubles you. And my friend, I want you to know this morning, if you cannot remember the prayer, even if you don't remember uttering the prayer, if you are trusting Jesus, you are saved. If you are trusting Jesus Christ, you are saved. But let me say something else to some others who may be here or listening this morning. You may have prayed a prayer a thousand times. But if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're not saved. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's Jesus who saves you. And by God's grace, you repent and entrust yourself to Him. And your assurance is not in the perfectness of your prayer because it was not perfect it was not in and is not in the completeness of your belief because it's incomplete your hope is in a complete savior who is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God by him and all who come to me Jesus says I will never cast them out friend the call for you today is trust Jesus Entrust yourself to Jesus. A man came to Dwight L. Moody one time, the great evangelist. You know what he said? He said this, Mr. Moody, I just can't believe. Mr. Moody, I, can't, I just can't believe. And you know what Dr. Moody said to him? Here's what he said. Can't believe whom? It's not what you believe. We grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. It's whom you believe. What did Paul say? I know whom I have believed. And I know that he is able to keep that which I've entrusted to him until that day. My friend, you say you can't believe. Whom can't you believe? Can you believe Jesus? Can you believe the Son of God who said this? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Oh, the love of God. Isn't it wonderful to try to measure it this morning? The height of God's love. How high for God so loved. The depth of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How wide. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. And now, how long is the love of God. The length of God's love. What's the length of God's love? Here it is. 
should not perish, but have eternal life. Should not perish, but have eternal life. Now notice the two points that Jesus uses to measure the length of God's love. From the point of perishing, he says, should not perish. What does it mean to perish? To perish doesn't mean to die physically. It's not what it means. To to perish means to live in spiritual death. Spiritual death. What What is it to perish? To perish means to be apart from God now. And abandoned by God forever. That's what it means to perish. People are perishing now. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. God has sent life and this life is in the Son. He that has the Son has life. Outside of Jesus, people are perishing, perishing apart from God and His family now. And if they do not repent and believe, they will be abandoned by God forever. What does it mean to perish after this life is over? It means to be banished forever from God's presence. It means to be forsaken Forever by God and His mercy. It means hell forever. My friend, you may say, I don't know if I believe in hell. Well, my friend, Jesus believed in it. And He warned people not to go there. And He climbed up on a cross to keep people from going there. How do you measure the length of God's love? You don't start at the best someone can do. You don't start at the point where someone says they're going to do better. You start where they're perishing. That's where the starting point is. And how far does God's love reach? From perishing to eternal life. Eternal life. You know what that literally means? Literally. Life unto the ages. Life unto the ages. Life in God. Life as long as God lives. And how long is God going to live? Forever. As long as God lives, those who believe in Jesus live with Him. Forever and ever. And it's not just future. Notice, this is present tense. Did you hear this? He that believes in Him should not perish, but be having life unto the ages. You see, eternal life is not life that begins after you die. It's life that begins now. Out of your spiritual death and begins now and just becomes perfected when you leave this old body and this old world and go to be with God. It's a present possession. Those who believe in Jesus, it's not maybe they will be saved. 
Perhaps they could have eternal life. It might work out that they'll have eternal life. Is that what your Bible says? If it says that, let me exchange Bibles. You need a good one. What did Jesus say? They will never perish. But be having now, present tense, and forever, life unto the ages. My friend, Jesus is not just life after death. Jesus is life after birth. (laughs) When you're born again. The love of God. Who can understand it? We can't understand it, but you know what? I don't understand how a brown cow eats green grass and gives white milk and yellow butter. I don't understand that, but I enjoy it. I don't understand how water pressure moving over turbines creates an electric current that's captured in wires and transported all the miles down the mountain and down into this valley and then it comes into my home. I don't understand that, but I don't stand around in the dark. I flip on the switch. You could never understand the love of God. You don't have to understand it, but you can experience it in Jesus Christ because this life is in His Son. You can experience this life. How? Trust Jesus. Stop trusting yourself. You can't trust yourself and trust Jesus. Stop trusting your church. Stop trusting in your good works. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Many years ago, In the middle of the night, fire from the fireplace somehow ignited the timbers of a home. The dad awakened to the smoke, the heat. He woke his wife. He ran around. They got the children, took them all out of the house. And they saw their house going up in flames. And to their horror, they saw their four-year-old little boy standing in the upstairs window, framed by those flames, crying. And the father went beneath that window and he said, Johnny, jump. Jump, John, jump to me. And that little boy jumped out of that window. And his father, named Samuel, caught his little boy, John. And that little boy was John Wesley. John Wesley. He, all of his life, said he was like a branch snatched from the burning. My friend, listen to me. This is Jesus with open arms. This is Jesus 
measuring God's love. He's not measuring your fitness. He's not measuring your ability. He's not measuring your devotion. He's not measuring your determination to be a better person. He's measuring the love of His Father. And what's He saying? Jump. Jump. Entrust yourself to me. Fling yourself to me. And you'll have life for the ages. Let's bow our heads in prayer. No friend, our heads are bowed right now, right now. In Jesus' name, I beg you, I plead with you. I beg with you, in Jesus' name, fling yourself to Jesus. Run to Jesus. His arms are open. Right now, come to Jesus. Right now, you don't have to move. You don't have, right now, from your heart, turn from your own way. Turn and see the open arms of Jesus. Trust Him. Give yourself to Him. Believe on the Lord. And you receive life eternal. Friend, we're going to sing. As we sing, I'd love to invite you to come. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd be glad to do that. Stay after. But please, I beg you in Jesus' name, do not go out those doors until you have settled this. That you've given your life to Jesus Christ. How deep the Father's love. Amen. Let's stand together, church, and Jeff's going to lead us, and many of you know this song, but if not, you'll pick up the tune quickly, but it is about the depth of the Father's love, how deep the Father's love for us. As we sing this, we invite you, if you'd like to come for prayer, our prayer team is here, elders are here, I'll be glad to pray with you, but please don't leave today with any burden on your heart. That's why we're here, to share those burdens, share with you from God's Word. Let's sing as Jeff leads us, how deep the Father's love for us.